Welcome back to the program here Monday to Friday starting at noon. Coming up in hour two, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN will uh, kick off the second hour. Sam Cosentino, bottom of it. From Sportsnet, our NHL draft analyst. Also, we'll talk plenty to Sam, not just about prospects, but also the Memorial Cup final tonight. The Hamilton Bulldogs facing off against the host St. John Sea Dogs. In the meantime, let's pick up our conversation we were having with Elliot about the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, here from Detroit Hockey Now and Hockey Buzz, our good friend Kevin Allen. Kevin, how are you today? Doing great, thanks. So we were just uh, so Elliot and I were just having a conversation, and thanks as always for stopping by. It's always a, always a delight catching up with you. Um, you're one of all of our favorites. I think that's safe to say. Um, we just mentioned we we're just talking about the Red Wings, and you know whether, whether maybe it's maybe it's this summer, maybe it's, maybe it's next summer. Who knows? Like, do you have a sense of when? The Detroit Red Wings need to get out of rebuild mode and start to put together more of a competitive team, or is Iserman and ownership still content to continue with the rebuild as it's been unfolding? Well, that's a great question, and one that uh, you know Steve uh, kind of Steve Eiserman uh, sort of beats around the bush about. But you know, I think uh, what he says is, and I think he's being uh, honest is. He's still in rebuild mode, but he's going to try even this summer to try to make this team better. He was really disappointed in their lack of competitiveness down the stretch last season to the point where I think it made him angry. Um, And I think he's going to try to address that by rebuilding the defense uh, a little bit. I know he's going to look hard for a a center uh, and someone with a little size. I, I think they liked how... Hughes Suter played, but I don't think they felt like they can be competitive with a smaller center at the number two hole. So I think he's going to be aggressive. He's going to try to bring some people in, but uh, he says it's still going to take a while, and I think he really believes that. I think he feels they're still um, several players away from uh, you know being the kind of team he wants it to be. How is that going over in the marketplace? Well, they have a lot of faith in Eisenman, and, and rightfully so. I mean, he's really been a uh, – he's done all the things that I think the fan base wanted him to do. He's built through the draft. He's hit home runs with his draft picks. Um, you know, he's been aggressive. Uh, and I think they appreciate that uh, he's unpredictable, uh, and he really is. Like, you know, things don't leak out of the Red Wings. Like, he's kind of replaced Lou Lamarillo as the – kind of most secretive organization he's just you know keeps uh, his own counsel he doesn't uh, talk a lot uh, you know not many things leak out and uh, so when things hit like last year when he got Nadelkovich as his goalie um, you know when uh, the Nick Letty trade like you never heard any of that even the Mantha trade um, the, in the season before mm. when yeah, yeah, there was no rumors about that it just happened and I think the Red Wing fan base just kind of appreciate that he's out there getting it done and you don't hear about it. And, um, you know, they don't get their hopes built up by false rumors. It just, boom, something happens. And I think the other thing to appreciate is uh, he's always in the mix. Like, he's always investigating, always taking a look at things. Um, and, you know, I think the results have been good, even though uh, the team wasn't very good last season. I think everybody saw what Moritz Sider and Lucas Raymond was going to do. I think everybody's excited about Edmondson showing up and playing for the Red Wings uh, this season. They see the prospects, especially the ones overseas, 
are uh, developing and uh, looking like they're going to be good. So uh, for the most part, I think the fan base is really pleased with Eisenman. Yeah, it's, um, you know, Elliot and I were just talking a second ago about Dylan Larkin as well, and he has one more year left on his deal, and the no trade uh, kicks in relatively soon. Um, Elliot is of the mind that they are looking to extend Dylan Larkin, and they'd like to know what he wants to do before his no trade kicks in. Uh, does that sound Does that sound right to you? Yeah, I mean, I think it does, but I don't think they're worried about this contract. Uh, I really don't. I mean, I think they they see this as one that's going to get done. Um, uh, I think they're more worried about the Tyler Bertuzzi contract, uh, and I think mm-hmm. that's why we've heard some rumbling about perhaps Bertuzzi could be traded. I don't, I don't think uh, the negotiations went all that smoothly last time around, and I think there's been some issues there. And so I think they really kind of want to know Bertuzzi's intentions, but I, I think it is accurate. They, they do want to know what Larkin is thinking and they will engage him immediately. But I, I don't think they're concerned. I mean, you know, Larkin's a hometown guy who likes being in Detroit. He's really stepped up his game this season. He's been a good, you know, captain. Uh, you know, he's not, not been perfect. He's still kind of developing in that regard, but I think they're pretty pleased with the, uh, how it went this year. So I think they're less concerned about that contract than they are about Bertuzzi's. You know, it's, um, you know, what, what we've been used to, and one of the things that I really, that I really liked about Eisenman in the off season, <laughs> excuse me, was, um, and you just mentioned Nicoletti a couple of seconds ago, the idea of picking up players in the off season that you probably have an intention to move come trade deadline time whether it's Nicoletti, whether it's Vladislav, Namastikov, these types of players, you pick them up because they're good players and they can help you right away. Um, but knowing full well, full well, you can also turn these players into draft picks uh, come deadline time. Do you expect to see more of the same this summer? I, I think uh, certainly on defense that's a possibility. Um, I think he is in the market to, for someone a little more permanent, I think he'd like to get what we could call a middle-aged defenseman, someone in their 20s that's going to be with this team when they compete but can also help uh, Edmondson and Moritz Sider develop. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I have a sense, and again, it's just kind of a feeling that Hironic, uh may be a player they moved. He really had a difficult time uh, adjusting to Sider's mm-hmm. uh, arrival. Um, you know, Sider just kind of took over, and I think Aronik um, had trouble kind of finding his place. He was the guy. He was the power play guy. And then Sider was suddenly everything. He was, uh, you know, he might have been the best player on the team, even though he was a rookie. And um, I think Aronik had difficulty with that. So I, I, I think there's a chance they may move him out, uh, especially if they can make a trade to get a center. Uh, and then they're really going to need to acquire um, kind of a veteran defenseman. But they don't. I think that's more of the permanent side. But from the temporary side, I think they will be looking for kind of like what they did before with Mark Stahl or, or Letty. They'll be looking for a guy mm-hmm. that can get in for a year. So I, I think we could see both, a, a permanent uh, addition and also a signing on a temporary basis, a bridge player, as it were. You mentioned uh, Edvinson, Edvinson a second ago. Do you expect Simon Edvinson to be on this blue line next year? be shocking uh, if he's not um you know eisman does not uh, rave about anyone but uh you know he raved about cider and now he's uh, 
he's talked very glowingly about Edmondson, which is not his his way. So I think he's very excited about that. Um, and uh, Eisman doesn't pencil anyone in, but you know Edmondson is probably as close as uh, he's going to get to that. But they're expecting that he's going to come in and show that he deserves uh, uh, to be here. And I think that um, I think Eisman. Uh, not that he's, he thinks much about marketing, but I think uh, he understands that the fans need to be able to see a little more progress this year. So I think that's another reason why I think uh, Edmondson will be here is that uh, he wants to get the fans revved up. Uh, he saw last year when the, you know, when the building was uh, was more full that the team seemed to perform better. They really set up that in that. Uh, you know, the crowd. So I, th- I mm-hmm. think that that's one of the reasons to bring him in. Let me ask you about Cider. Um, what a season. Uh, very well-deserved Calder Trophy. Um, I would imagine that Red Wings fans, first of all, he's a very skilled player, but second of all, Red Wings fans haven't seen someone hit like that from the back end since Nicholas Cronwall. Uh, if you did a, a hierarchy of most popular Red Wings right now, where would Cider fit? Uh, he's right there at the top, uh, you know. Uh, you know, probably him and, and and Larkin are you know neck and neck, and Raymond is just right below him. Um, and uh, there's just so much to unpack about cider. Uh, I remember one point asking Glashel about this, and and he kind of agreed with me. Is the amazing part about all of his offenses is he took no chances. Like it was almost like he was tethered to the, the blue line on the power play. He didn't move any, certainly capable of that, but um, you know, he didn't, he didn't take risk and yet he still kept piling up the points. He piled up the points while he was playing a, what I would call a very conservative game, particularly in the first half of the season. And he still got points. Wait till he starts taking chances uh, because he, you know, he really does have tremendous offensive instincts and, you know, the physical aspect of his game, I think what's really the fans are excited about is it's it's never forced and it's always there. And, uh, you know, like players run into him and they fall down like he's just a beast. Uh, mm-hmm. And we've seen it. He's not intimidated by anyone. He'll challenge anyone. There was a, a moment during the season when there was a scrum in front of the net and uh, Sid, Sid Crosby was in the middle of it. Next thing you know, Cider's in his face. Uh, and, you know, rookies don't do that, uh, but he did. And I think that's why the, you know, the fan base is just so excited. It's, it's more than his hits, um, even though he was, uh, you know, second on the team in hits and, uh, you know, the block shots, he was first and all that. But it's just the presence he has about him, like, uh, you know, not on my watch. He's first in line whenever there's difficulty. Um, and I think everyone just kind of appreciate that. The coaching. Um, Tampa's out. Stanley Cup playoffs are over. Uh, that opens up conversations. And maybe these conversations happened previously with permission from Tampa. I'm unaware of it, uh, if it, if it did, Kevin. But, you know, Derek Lalonde and Jeff Halpern are a couple of names that we've talked about for a while. Um, you know, I've wondered about, you know, Jay McKee, who's coaching tonight as the Hamilton Bulldogs face off against the St. John Sea Dogs uh, for the Memorial Cup. Um, what do your spidey senses, Kevin, uh, tell you about the coaching situation in Detroit? Which, by the way, it feels like everybody's signed an NDA. I mean, everyone in the organization, because to your point, nothing's getting out. No, not, especially not from the uh, Red Wings organization. Uh, 
and they've been, uh, you know, that's just his way. Uh, and uh, I, I, my sense is this. I think Steve, from the very beginning, is looking for a fresh face. He's looking for his uh, Red Wings version of John Cooper. Uh, so I think he's, uh, from the very beginning, I don't think he was all that sold on the idea of getting a, a retread. I think he wanted a, a guy that could sort of grow with the uh, building team. And, you know, I think Steve knows that right now it's probably a little bit difficult to coach for him because, you know, he's more involved than, than maybe a GM would normally be because he's, um, you know, playing with the chemistry. He's thinking about how things are going to fit. So I would I would venture to say that um, he uh, is going to give more direction to a coach than a coach would normally expect. So I think a, a younger coach, a newer coach, is probably a better fit um, for the Red Wings as they are now. And uh, I almost I don't want to say that he sees this as a bridge coach, but um, I think he wants to see how this is all going to work out, see what his team looks like, and see if you know he's got the right guy this time. So. Um, that's another reason why I, I would be stunned if he's giving out uh, a lot of term uh, to the coach mm-hmm. he's going to hire uh, because I think he just wants to see how this is all going to come together because he doesn't know. You know, he doesn't know what the next year's draft will look like or who he can get in the free agent marketplace. So I think that's been his approach. Uh, he has said um, publicly he's he's been terrific to deal with from the media perspective because he's been relatively honest uh, about what he said. He said, you know, he's discovering in his the time in management that his best hires have ended up being, and not just in coaching, but again, people that he already knew, that he had a sense of who they were and how they went. And so I think right. we can count on um, him taking somebody that uh, uh, he has familiarity with. And as you mentioned, he hired both Halpern, um, and Lalonde, so you would certainly uh, have uh, knowledge of, of them. Let me go, uh, as I wrap up with you here, Kevin, off the uh, Detroit Red Wings page. Um, as we head into the draft and an inevitable, an inevitable um, flurry of trade rumors and trades that get consummated next week in, in Montreal, which team is the most interesting to you? I mean, outside of the, the Red Wings, which is your beat, but I, I mean... You cover the whole league. Which team outside of the wings is the more most intriguing one to you heading into the draft next week? Well, um, that's a great question and uh, one I hadn't thought about. But um, you know, I'm very uh, interested. Well, I mean, I'm going to have to give you two or three, and because okay. and for different reasons, I'm interested in. Um, I'm interested to see what Tampa Bay is going to do because yeah. you know they need sign Palat and uh, you know they like Paul they want to stay and I love that Rizvo came right out and said you know I want to sign all these guys and then you look at his cap space and he's already <laughs> over for next year um, but if anybody can do it you know it's Rizvo so I'm really yeah. curious to see what he's going to do there because I think he knows you got to freshen it up a little bit you can't keep coming back kind of with the same guys even though those guys are really good so I think he's probably going to, you know, add a different element to it as well. But, you know, someone's going to have to move out in order for me to So I'm very interested in, in the Lightning. Um, I'm interested to see how Sackick is going to deal with the loss of Cadre because uh, I think he's for sure gone. You know, you got to set aside $10 million at least for Nathan McKinnon, and you've got other players that you need to get re-signed. And even though it looks on paper that he has a lot of money, I, I don't see any way that uh, Nazem Kadri can 
uh, ends up back there. And I think Cadre uh, uh, has uh, been sort of been looking for that chance to hit a home run there. So I'm curious to see what's going to happen there because I think, uh, um, you know, Saki has, has sort of been a kind of a hidden gem as a general manager. He's patient. But if you look at the moves he's made through the years, uh, most of them have worked out. So I'm curious there. And then the other thing is I want to know is, you know, um, are we finally going to see uh, Chikrin uh, moved? Uh, because uh, there's still a lot of interest out there, and they're real people are really intrigued by the idea of, of having this defenseman locked up for three more years. And uh, the price hasn't gone down from what I hear. Um, no. But I think somebody's going to pay so I think somebody's going to pay it because I think they like the idea. They think there's some potential there. There's not unanimous agreement on that, by the way, that uh, some mm. people think that uh, Chikrin is what he is, and other people think, yeah, he's going to get better if you put him on a good team. So I guess those are the three teams that I'm um, you know, the most interested in what's going to happen there. I wonder about Florida there. I wonder, Kevin, about the St. Louis Blues there now that you know they're close but they still have to compete yeah, with Colorado and I, and I and I wonder about Anaheim like and I, and I look for teams that have what the Arizona Coyotes would want and it's a it's a as we all know it's a three-piece trade and it's essentially the Brent Burns deal is what you know the Arizona Coyotes are trying to trying to drive here but uh like you I think I think a lot of us are really curious to see how this one plays out um Kevin always a delight catching up uh you're always very generous with your time and expertise sharing all of it thanks so much as always and uh enjoy the moments leading up to the draft the draft free agency and inevitably some type of break uh, which you have very much well earned thanks Kevin always a good time yeah appreciate it thanks bye-bye Kevin Allen from uh, Detroit Hockey Now, uh, covering off the Detroit Red Wings, and just some speculation and curiosity of, you know, that the chicken thing is interesting too. It's almost as if once trade deadline came and went, that became such a back burner topic. But make no mistake about it, Arizona's open for business. This is a team that doesn't plan to compete again until the new rink is built. And they don't even have a guarantee they can get a new rink built yet. We'll see. All right. Buckle up your chin straps. Put your helmet on. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN MVSW Redux is coming up here in a couple of moments. Sam Cosentino at the bottom of hour two as well. We'll talk prospects and we'll talk Memorial Cup final tonight. Hamilton and St. John. Lots of shows still to get to. Quick breath. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the program tonight. It is the Memorial Cup final. It is the Hamilton Bulldogs facing off against the host St. John Sea Dogs. Who better to talk to about this and prospects as well, draft on the horizon, than Sam Cosentino, uh, our lead draft and prospect analyst, say nothing of junior hockey expert from sports. And how are you doing today, Sammy? Great, Jeffy. Uh, should be should be interesting to see what goes on tonight with the host team having been out there for a little while. Yes. Is uh, are you uh, are you surprised that they made it this far, or is this a case of 
Uh, a good team that caught the flu about out in the first round, rested, recuperated, albeit had a controversy bringing in a new coach, uh, but are healthy heading into the Memorial Cup tournament. How do you see the Sea Dogs? Well, the way I look at them, they were a talented enough group, had a good and a uh, good run to end the season. And then when they hired Gardner McDougal, he was someone uh, that I'm very familiar with having called a number of his national championships with, with UNB. And the one thing that I was pretty confident in is that his group would be ready and would be unfazed by the task. And I think they proved that on opening night. They've continued to prove it. They've taken advantage of the, of the time off to you know, do some things a little bit differently than, than might have been done uh, under the previous regime with Gordy Dwyer. And, you know, you got to give Gordy a lot of credit, too, for getting the team to the end of the year in the fashion in which they did. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not completely surprised based on how well I know Gardner McDougall and, and how good he is as preparing teams for, uh, for the short term. Uh, let me ask about the Hamilton Bulldogs tonight, and uh, or today rather. Uh, tonight they'll they'll look for the Memorial Cup, and you know I was making the point that I remember being really really young and hearing tons about the Hamilton Fin Cups, uh, and watching you know that uh, that team uh, you know led by you know Dale McCord and Willie Huber and and Al Secord win the Memorial Cup, and then there was a the new Westminster Bruins um, era. But as much as you can put together. You know, franchises that can rise up and win league championships and compete for the Memorial Cup on a consistent basis, you kind of have to be impressed at what, you know, owner Michael Andlauer has been able to do here in association with co-owner and general manager Steve Steos. Like, I know they went completely all in uh, on, the, on the season. Like, this is a team that's exhausted the reserves uh, to win the OHL championship and get to the Memorial Cup. But do you have a thought on what we've seen from the Hamilton Bulldogs this season and, and what you expect from them tonight? I have so much respect for, for Michael and the job that he's done because his tenure as an owner of a team dates back to the Bulldogs team with the HL, which were always contenders, yeah. albeit in a, a bit of a different circumstance when you're someone at the behest of the, the NHL affiliate. And yet he still found success with, with those Bulldogs teams in the American League. So for him to, to do this at the junior level, again, is, is no surprise. You know, Steve Stales, I think, is a guy who's just knocking on the door to, to go and work in the National Hockey League. And who knows, we might hear his name come out as early as tomorrow once once this thing is over. But these guys were here in 2018, Jeff, at the 100th Memorial Cup. Yeah. They saw some things, and they looked at the composition of their team, and Steve Stales went back to the drawing board, did some things similar, like they acquired Robert Thomas, then they acquired Mason McTavish this year. Uh, but I think they're a little better in goal. I think they're more skilled in the back end and a little bit more depth up front. And, and I think that they felt strongly that that was the, the, the elements that were going to get them over the hump this year. Let me ask you about Mason McTavish uh, specifically. So he comes in in the trade with the Peterborough Peets, 40 points in 24 games. Like right away, this guy's a hit. He's as, you know, as, as, as can't miss as anybody in junior hockey. I think everybody is penciling him in uh, to start the season and stay the season with the Anaheim Ducks next year. I think up the gut, that team runs Trevor Zegras and Mason McTavish, and maybe not even in that order uh, as their one-two centers for the next 10 years. Uh, what are your thoughts on Mason McTavish? He must be tired. Like, my goodness, if you look back <laughs> at the last two years, where this guy has gone to play and develop his game is really amazing. Like, 
you think about, okay, he's a 29 goal scorer, he's a 16-year-old in Peterborough, and then the OHL doesn't play, so he goes to Switzerland where his dad has roots playing, and then he comes back, he goes to the under-18s, he's going to the World, he's going to the Olympics, he's going to, to Anaheim, then he's going to Hamilton. It's like, holy jeez, this guy just must be dog-tired, yet you know, when the chips are down, he's still finding a way to, to produce. So I have a ton of respect for him as a player, and I remember – you know, doing a lot of due diligence on him in his draft year. Rob Wilson, his coach in Peterborough, had unbelievable things to say about him. And one thing I think that amazed me about him, Jeff, is is you look at him and you see kind of that curly hair and maybe like a little bit of a round face, and you might get fooled that he's a guy who's not in shape, and that is as far from the truth as could be. You know, you look at this guy's workouts, and he is just shredded. So it's easy to see why through all of those stops, that he's still uh, being able to find uh, power and energy in his game. You know, he's kind of like Charlie McAvoy that way, you know, like uh, chubby cheeks and then he takes his dry fit off and you're like, holy smokes, you light matches off this guy. Um, same thing with uh, with Mason McTavish. Uh, Nathan Steos as well, overage defenseman, son of Steve Steos. Dave, safe to say this guy's, this guy's finding an NHL contract. Well, I mean, he's been to a couple of camps so far, uh, and I think now's the time when, it, when it's going to happen for, for Nathan. I mean, you know, you look at what he did on the winning goal there. He's carrying the puck. He eludes a defender, stops, just puts a nice, easy shot through. So his learning process has been amazing along the way. He, uh, you know, paced OHL defenders in terms of points this year, and I think the time has come. So, you know, the size, always a little bit of an issue when the discussion comes up about Nathan Stales, but why not take a shot, especially in, in all these times of uncertainty when you're looking mm-hmm. at, you know, my other part of the job with the draft, you see so much uncertainty. Here's a guy who's a lot older who you are more certain of, so why not dole out a contract to him? Uh, it does make a ton of sense. Uh, a couple more questions about uh, the Memorial Cup, and then I do want to get to some of the prospects as well. Um, Jay McKee, head coach of the Hamilton Bulldogs, wonder about him. After tonight's matchup, uh, I would imagine some NHL teams would like to talk to Jay McKee. And I still wonder about Steve Steos. And I wonder about Steve Steos. And I don't know what the capacity would be, but, you know, there's the uh, the Montreal Association through Michael Andlauer, who's one of the minority owners and is the majority owner of the Hamilton Bulldogs. Um, you know, there's always been a uh, an affinity from the Edmonton Oilers as well. Uh, with Steve Steos, uh, Jay McKee and Steve Steos, uh, do you think there'll be NHL interest for these two gentlemen after this tournament is done? I, I think for Jay, the, their interest would be there, but probably more in an assistance role. And then, and knowing Jay, you know, he's still got some young kids that that uh, with him being in Hamilton, he's not too far from. And I know that was always a, a big part of the decision-making process that every time his name came up, that he wanted to make sure he was around for his kids. And so I don't know if that still factors in in that decision, but it's nice to see him get over the hump. I do think there'll be some opportunities. I don't know. I think there's only, what, three head coaching spots left. I think those are all close to coming down to the wire. So I don't know if Jay Mm -hmm. is in consideration for one of those spots. But for Steve, I think Steve can sort of write his ticket. He's got the Hockey Canada experience. He's got you know, knowledge of, of the young players in the game. He's got a son in the game, so he knows what it's all about from that perspective. And with the things he's done in 2018 and then just four years later getting back to that spot, I think yeah. there's going to be all kinds of opportunity for him. I just wonder, Jeff, like, you keep hearing the name Michael Landlauer if he doesn't take a more prominent role uh, 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 ownership-wise with another team somewhere else, that if 
Steve Stales doesn't end up winding uh, winding up with, with wherever Michael ends up doing, if he does anything at all. Interesting point. Um, a few minutes left with you here. Um, NHL draft next Thursday, round one, Montreal. Uh, Shane Wright, Yuri Slavkovsky, Logan Cooley, all forwards, uh, and many have that as their one, two, three in that order. Um, David Juracek, uh, Simon Nemich, uh, two defensemen poised to go, maybe top five as well. How do you see this all shaking out next Thursday when the opening round uh, gets underway? I think it's going to be crazy, Jeff. I really do. I think we're in for a lot of surprises. I think you should expect the unexpected. Um, that might even start with the first overall pick. I don't think Shane Wright is, is a lock there. He would be my pick. I don't know if Montreal feels the same way. Uh, about him as, as I do and many others do. Uh, so there is that to, to consider. But then you have right shot defensemen. And, you know, I know you always talk about them on the show. They do have some additional value. You have yep. Nemitz there, who I think is creeping up maybe inside the top five now. So he might, uh, you know, change the complexion of this draft early on as well. I, I think there's a lot of things we should expect to be unexpected about this draft. You know, I, I wonder, too, how much of a, a wild card someone like Marco Casper could be who brings a very unique skill set. I know that's you know coveted certainly by by teams that want to you know do some damage in the playoffs. How much of a you know apple cart upsetter could Marco Casper be here? Marco is going to be a guy that I think enters the fray as early as number three and doesn't get past number eight. That would be my opinion of him. And uh, going back, you know, middle of the year, I think I had him in that 15-16 range, um, especially after meeting him at the Combine. I think much differently uh, about him in terms of uh, the type of player you're getting but the type of person you're getting. And that's what makes me believe that he's a 3-8 he's a to eight guy now. For those that uh, that may not follow uh, the prospects uh, and just want to tune in and want to know what Shane Wright is all about, what Yuri Slavkovsky is all about, uh, that seems to be one of the battles right now. Uh, what can you tell casual listeners uh, about Shane Wright? What can you tell casual listeners about Yuri Slavkovsky? Shane Wright is a complete player. He's super mature for his age. He's missed a year of hockey, and I don't think he gets enough credence and, and respect for that year missed in terms of his development, but an unbelievable player and an unbelievable kid. Slavkovsky is more NHL-ready, ready-to-go, real good disposition, is a monster with great physical presence whenever he walks into the room, and I think he's got uh, much more to go before we he realizes his full potential. So it's interesting because maybe there's a, a little bit more risk in taking mm-hmm. a guy like Slavkovsky and a little bit less risk with taking a guy like Shane Wright because of the completeness of his game. But Slavkovsky has a resume against men, not only in Liga, but at the Worlds and at the Olympics. And yep. I think that's uh, you know, very much uh, what has put him in the conversation to go first. Do you have a quick 30 on Logan Cooley, maybe the most uh, dynamic player amongst the top mix? No doubt. He's the most dynamic player this draft class has to offer at 5'10", 175 pounds. You have to be confident with that size at center. But if I had to make a, a comparable to you know, what we're seeing in the National Hockey League right now, a cross between Trevor Zegers and Jack Hughes, and I'm not sure there's a team in the National Hockey League that, that wouldn't want that on their roster. That sounds special. Uh, Sammy, you're the best. We'll see you in Montreal next week, my friend. Okay, looking forward to it, Jeff. Take care.
There is Sam Cosentino, lead draft analyst here from uh, from Sportsnet, also commenting on tonight's. Uh, there is still hockey, folks. Uh, marquee matchup: the Hamilton Bulldogs facing off against the St. John Sea Dogs. Don't forget, the draft is just over a week away. Next Thursday in Montreal. Thursday is uh, round one. Uh, rounds two through seven uh, go on Friday, and you'll hear plenty leading up about Shane Wright, Yuri uh, Slavkovsky, the Slovakian winger, and Logan Cooley. There are some wild cards here. So I, we mentioned Simon Nemec. Uh, we mentioned David Juracek as well. Those are you know two defensemen that could mix things up as well. I'm a big fan of Marco Casper. I think I'm with Sam. I think this guy could go real high and and really shake things up as well. Um, there's a you know uh, Matt Savoy, uh, Matt Savoy uh, who could go maybe higher than uh, than people expect. And I think that there's going to be. And this is why we'll have Elliot on the floor as well. I think there's going to be a lot of trades. I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are moving around. I think that there are some teams around the NHL that really just need to replenish their prospects. You know, I think of teams like the Pittsburgh Penguins, for example. You know, after years of just trading picks and trading picks and trading picks, the and prospects trade, trade, trade in order to to stay relevant and you know keep Crosby, Malkin, and Latang in a playoff hunt and try to capture you know one more Stanley Cup, squeeze one last drop out of it. You know that's taking a toll on the prospect pool. I wouldn't be surprised to see a team like the Pittsburgh Penguins try to make some moves to get more picks. Ditto for a team like the Vancouver Canucks. I can see the Vancouver Canucks trying to make moves just to get picks as they look to rebuild their prospect pool as well so it should be a fascinating draft outside of who goes first overall all the way down this one should be an interesting one I want to thank all my guests on the show today you just heard from sam cosentino from sportsnet previous you heard from greg washinsky of espn kevin allen from detroit hockey now and elliot friedman uh, off the top of the show reminiscing about old memorial cups uh, and looking back on this day in 2016 the uh, the 23 minutes that shook the world the two big trades, Subban for Weber, Hall for Larson, and the Steven Stamkos extension with the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's been a fun show. Tomorrow, the final episode for the season. Let's have some fun.